This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. It's a really good thing that this guy never made it to the Supreme Court. It's bad enough, though, that he runs the Justice Department. Attorney General Merrick Garland showed himself to be wildly out of touch and a left-wing frightening lunatic. Now, he was called to task today, though, and it was brilliant because this guy thinks people like this are a threat to democracy, apparently. Scott Smith, you know about him, the hero who stood up for his daughter who was assaulted at a school in Virginia, and he was treated like the criminal. How about all these incredible people from all walks of life who have been stepping forward at these school board meetings and speaking out, speaking powerfully, eloquently against this corrupt, critical race theory and all the other garbage they're trying to implement in the schools? These are great people. They're not terrorists. You know who else is great? These people, but also some of our politicians, they were fantastic today. Uh, the Senate Judiciary Committee, first off, Senator Ted Cruz, brilliant brain, and he let the attorney general have it. You're the attorney general of the United States. This was not a tweet you sent. This is a memo to the Federal Bureau of Investigations saying, go investigate parents as domestic terrorists. That is not what the memo says at all. It does it, not. Is it what the letter says? That is not what Is it what the letter says? I don't care what the letter says. You don't care. care. You said it was the basis of your memo. You testified under oath before the House of Representatives. The letter was the basis of your memo. Now you, you don't care about the letter? Department of Justice, you did no independent research on what was happening, did you? The memo has nothing to do with partisan Did you do independent law. research? The memo has Did you no do independent research? The memo has nothing to do okay, you're with not answering that politics. question. It's amazing. The attorney general did send a letter to the FBI saying, take a look at these school board meetings. They're acting up. They're getting crazy. They're threatening our administrators. Not true. Not true. He got all of his information from a bogus letter from the National School Board uh, Federation. Uh, they had to actually take it back. It was so bad. Senator Cruz was great, and also Senator Hawley, Republican of Missouri. They could be prosecuted for using the Internet, I guess that would be Facebook, in a way that might cause emotional distress to a victim. Is that a, is that a crime of violence? Senator, I haven't seen the memo that you're Why haven't about. You? Why haven't you seen the memo? I, uh, I, I don't know why I haven't. I don't look at every, I, have, I do not get every memo that every U.S. attorney uh, sends out. This is a memorandum that collects 13 different federal crimes parents could be charged with. It has United States Department of Justice on the top of it. And you're telling me you haven't seen it? No one has sent me that memo, so I haven't seen it. What do you mean no one has sent you the memo? You run the United States Department of Justice, do you not? There are 115,000 employees of the Department of Justice. Indeed, and you are in charge of every one of them. I've never seen that memo. It was That's what concerns me. me, General Garland. Well, it wasn't sent to me. You have 
weaponized the FBI and the Department of Justice. Your U.S. attorneys are now collecting and cataloging all the ways that they might prosecute parents like Mr. Smith because they want to be involved in their children's education and they want to have a say in their elected officials. It's wrong. It is unprecedented to my knowledge in the history of this country. And I call on you to resign. Awesome. Awesome. Hey, how about that? The oldest bureaucratic excuse. I never got the memo. Tom Cotton, Republican of Arkansas. She was raped in a bathroom by a boy wearing girls' clothes, and the Loudoun County School Board covered it up because it would have interfered with their transgendered policy during Pride Month. And that man, Scott Smith, because he went to a school board and tried to defend his daughter's rights, was condemned internationally. Do you apologize to Scott Smith and his 15-year-old daughter, Judge? Judge, that's, this is shameful. This, here, this testimony, your directive, your performance is shameful. Okay. That's not correct. Thank God you are not on the Supreme Court. You that, should resign in disgrace, Judge. Hey, he had no answers whatsoever, Garland. He came uh, with nothing. He just thought he'd stick with his talking points, and these guys are way, way, way too smart for that. Also, Senator Kennedy, Republican of Louisiana, was very good. When men follow a United States senator who happens to be a female into a, a women's room to harass her about her beliefs, why is that just part of the process, as President Biden says? But when a parent goes to a school board meeting to protest that her child is being taught that babies are, can be white supremacists is subject to FBI prosecution. The description that you just gave, that parent is not subject to FBI investigation. Um, he started this. Sending a letter like he sent to the FBI to take a look at these school board meetings I was wrong, and that's not what the Founding Fathers had in mind at all. And I was thinking about the Founding Fathers today. I think they would have been proud. And the Founding Fathers, I think they had these senators in mind who spoke so powerfully and beautifully in holding another branch of government accountable. And I also like these people. I think the Founding Fathers were thinking maybe of these women, citizens, who came forward at Loudoun, uh, in Loudoun County at a school board meeting and one after the next just stood for their, their freedom, stood for their rights, stood for their children. I've watched this school board feed off division and blame failures on others. You push policies to try and segregate parents while you accept funding to push your political motives in schools and introduced by hate. When politics, sexuality, and indoctrination should be kept out and replaced with more love for one nation under God. In my home, we love all. We have gay, black, white, Indian in our family, and we are all rooting together to, for Virginia to put children's safety first. You mentioned an investigation. Well, action speaks louder than words. Let's get to the bottom of what happened and where the policies and why the policies were pushed <sighs> without considering the safety of our children's or trial run. I demand a full investigation to hold those accountable who failed our children. That is America. Here's more America. Good evening. This is my first ever school board meeting that I've attended, but I can no longer stay silent after all that's been going on here in Loudoun County. 
You want us labeled as domestic terrorists simply because of our interest in our kids' education? What kind of parents would we be if we weren't involved in our kids' education? I want my child to learn reading, writing, math, science, and the history of our country, the good and the bad. I do not want him learning to hate himself because of the color of his skin. And how about the fact that you all knew about the sexual assault back in May? Then the second assault that happened just a couple weeks ago. Dr. Ziegler, you lied when asked about bathroom assaults. You didn't misunderstand the question. You just blatantly lied. For that alone, you need to resign or be fired. In fact, all of you who knew and stayed quiet should resign. Shame on you. It needs to be said, and they're saying it so bravely, so powerfully. More. My children are now in private school and are thriving. We had specifically moved into LCPS district because of its great reputation, yet we've been chased out of LCPS due to the swift and uncompromising political agenda of Superintendents Williams, Ziegler, and the school board that have forced upon us. First, it was in early spring of 2020 when my six-year-old somberly came to me and asked me if she was born evil because she was a white person, something she learned in a history lesson at school. Then you kept the schools closed for a year and a half despite the science indicating that it was safe for kids to return. And now you've covered up a rape, then arrested, humiliated, and falsely accused her parents of being domestic terrorists. I refuse to allow you to destroy our schools. They are not your schools. They are our schools. You all should be ashamed, and you should have the moral courage to admit you are wrong and step down. Awesome. Awesome. And this critical race theory, this transgender agenda, it's all rotten stuff, rotten stuff for children. And this is what America is about right now, standing up and speaking out against powerful forces. I think this is what the Founding Fathers had in mind. I think this is what Norman Rockwell had in mind when he painted this, the freedom of speech. This is what it's about. And I am, I don't think I've ever been more optimistic right now about this country. Right now, this moment, it feels pretty good because we've had some tough times uh, over the past, uh, what, year or so. Uh, the superintendent, by the way, they're talking about, Ziegler, looks like he may have, in fact, covered up uh, a horrible sexual assault, and he may have done it for... Political reasons. Uh, the final word is not in on that. It does not look good. He does seem committed to a, uh, a woke left wing agenda that clearly the parents and the students are not comfortable with. July 1, a new law goes into effect that requires school boards to have in place policies that protect transgender students. And Loudoun County is no different. That's going to um, help assure that our, our schools are safe and welcoming for our transgender students. And that will include things like uh, pronouns and restroom use and uh, privacy and all of those things that uh, uh, similar discussions are going on all across the Commonwealth. I can't tell if this guy's been duped or he's trying to dupe others, but his priorities are obviously totally out of whack. Uh, he seems to be applying all of his efforts to take care of a very small number of people that may not even have genuine or valid concerns. There, there may be a big game being played here, a political game. That's what I suspect. What about boys? What about girls? All right. So all this is having an impact uh, internationally and in Virginia. Look at that. It's a toss up in the Virginia governor's race. And uh, things got interesting last night. Uh, let's see. Terry McAuliffe. The Democrat, uh, I think he regrets this. He danced with Joe Biden standing right next to him. It's very strange. Try to 
right. People get carried away at a rally, whatever. I don't know what they're happy about, especially Joe. Oh, and let's face it. Joe Biden, they tell us, uh, beat Donald Trump, right? I have concerns about the fairness of the election. That's all I'll say. Concerns about the fairness of the election. Uh, if it were a fair and square election, and I have concerns about that, mm, would Joe Biden still be talking about Donald Trump so much? Take a look at this. This is uh, late last night at a rally for Terry McAuliffe, and uh, it was supposed to be, I thought, about Terry McAuliffe and his Republican opponent, but no, it was about somebody else. Thank you, thank you, thank you. That's right, this is not a Trump rally. We let him holler. We let him holler. I ran against Donald Trump. He embraced Donald Trump. <laughs> because he wanted to hear Donald Trump? He doesn't want to talk about Trump anymore. Donald Trump and election integrity? He puts the word Trump and integrity in the same sentence. The attack just leveled by Trump against General Powell. Trump did the same thing about John McCain. That's who Donald Trump is. Donald Trump, the insurrection isn't a violent assault. No. To Trump, the insurrection was no, the November 3rd election. Former President Trump's lie. He endorses Donald Trump's bad ideas. Donald Trump is the only president since Herbert Hoover. When Donald Trump left office, Trump, I love this one, Trump likes to boast, has made all of his private pledges of loyalty to Donald Trump. I think Trump. we go to 23. Next to Donald Trump, he won't allow Donald Trump to campaign for him in this state. He pledges loyalty to Trump in private. Is there a problem with Trump being here? <laughs> That's it. 23. 23 they counted. That's a lot. That's a lot. And don't forget, he beat him fair and square, right? Uh, all right. Good stuff. I'm proud of those senators. I'm proud of those uh, moms and dads in Loudoun County and throughout the country. I'm proud to be an American once again. I never lost that pride, but uh, feeling it especially right now. I hope you are, too. We'll be right back. Hey, I'm Rob Carson, host of the Newsmax Daily Podcast. Tired of boring traditional news updates? How about one with a conservative point of view? And it's actually funny. You can subscribe for free on the Apple Podcast app, and it downloads directly to your smartphone so you can listen while driving, uh, to work, riding a bike, at the gym, or even while lobster fishing off the East Coast. Subscribe today with the Apple Podcast app or go to NewsmaxTV.com slash podcasts for other platforms. Something's coming. All I can say is, is that, that the, the fake, fake news just, just doesn't, doesn't get it, do that. You can watch the fake news all day long and not learn a damn thing. I am sorry. They are so awful, even when they're trying to be so informative. And they say they're informing without uh, any bias. They're totally objective. They're not. But beyond that, they're just boring and bad. Take a look at this. It's an explanation of the reconciliation process, the $1.5 trillion, whatever. Look, I was trying to take notes, trying to follow along. Good luck.
Speaker Pelosi thinks that a simple framework is enough. Congresswoman Pramila Jayapal does not necessarily think so. On the one hand, we have a clearer picture of where these negotiations are than we have at any other point in the process. That's a good thing because it allows us to track where lawmakers are on this. At the same time, though, Senator Joe Manchin was pretty wishy-washy on several of the proposals that are supposed to be the 11th hour fixes to allow the Senate to move forward on this. But again, he has been a little bit vague in terms of what he can support. And at this point in the negotiations, when everything centers around someone like Senator Joe Manchin, it's important to keep in mind where he stands. And certainly lawmakers in this building are trying to do that. The other thing I think is important here, though, as we move forward, and some lawmakers have cautioned this specifically on the progressive side, they're willing to take as much time as they need to get this right. You know what I mean? That's a, that's a lot of process. That's a lot of that's a lot of insider stuff, and that's what they feast on because that stuff is fun. That stuff for them is easy to understand. The substance, the policy, uh, the real stuff, no, they're not interested in that. They're not really interested in people. Kind of interesting. Uh, same network, a little bit earlier in the day, they feasted on January 6th. They love January 6th and making us into the worst thing that ever happened in human history. And, uh, well... The headline from this is that we're really just at the beginning of this, because if you look at the total scope of people who were on camera committing criminal conduct that day, meaning that they went into the Capitol building or they attacked police officers or members of the media outside of the Capitol, the total scope of that, according to Citizen Sleuths that I've spoken with, is in the range of 2,500. Right now, we have about 650 charges, so we're basically about a quarter of the way there. And I think that that's what people really have to recognize is this. This is going to be a very long process. This is going to be something that's very politically inconvenient for Republicans for the next two, three, four years. These cases are really going to drag out. And the system is really, frankly, getting overwhelmed already just with the number of cases we have going through the pipeline. Every day you can tune in. It's again, they pretend that this is the worst thing that ever happened. All that criminal conduct, a bunch of people standing around, people who were let in to the Capitol. We saw that. They pretend it didn't happen. They also pretend that all of last year didn't happen. The rioting, the burning, the looting, the tearing down of uh, police stations. This was bad stuff. And we all saw it. And they, it never happened. Or this was all good. This was all righteous. This was all against police. And they didn't like police until they met those four cops who hate Trump related to January 6th. It's a big, silly game. By the way, last year, you do know that all the charges were basically dropped against basically everybody, okay? Everybody, almost, who was involved, got picked up for horrible things, or they've already done their time. They're already, they're already finished. And I want to talk about George Floyd for a moment because um, they're still trying to hurt Trump. Big Time Magazine piece says that Donald Trump inflamed the situation with his comments uh, in the wake of George Floyd's death. Now, that is not true, but they will lie about it. First, let's uh, take a look at what Donald Trump said publicly about George Floyd. I want to express our nation's deepest condolences and most heartfelt sympathies to the family of George Floyd. A terrible event, terrible, terrible thing that happened. And should never be allowed to happen, a thing like that. But we're determined that justice be served. All right. Very, very appropriate. But they always want to be horrified. They always want to be horrified. And let's face it, Trump didn't just speak. He also 
tweeted. So Time Magazine is taking a look at this, and they say the entire country was basically on fire. Facebook watched as Trump ignited hate across America. Well, how was hate ignited across America? They say with this tweet. Let's take a look at that, please. These thugs are dishonoring the memory of George Floyd, and I won't let that happen. That's during the riots, of course. Also, any difficulty, and we will assume control. But when the looting starts, the shooting starts. Thank you. And the left went crazy about, oh, my gosh, the the shooting starts. But when looting starts, basically, civil society breaks down. And a lot of people don't like that. And throughout history, uh, the government has opted actually to shoot looters. There's precedence for this. Going back to the aftermath of the earthquake in 1906, the mayor uh, had an authorization. Federal troops will shoot to kill anyone engaged in looting. Also, in the aftermath of Hurricane Katrina, people act, like to act like this didn't happen. But yes, after Katrina, New Orleans cops were told they could shoot looters. Chief Riley, at that time, called together all the people that we had collectively were involved in our operation there and uh, made an announcement to that entire group where he instructed the members of the New Orleans Police Department that on this day he was initiating that we begin to shoot looters in the city of New Orleans, that he was ordering us to take the street back and to start shooting looters that day. So local authorities were making that call. And if you look at the tweet from the president, He's basically warning about that, all right? He's not saying we will. Any difficulty, and we will assume control, but when the looting starts, the shooting starts, there is precedence for that. He's actually not saying, I want that, but that has been known to happen, and looting brings down society, civil society. I don't think that's what ignited hate in America. Do you? I don't think that's what started it, that one tweet. Absolutely not. And there's something to what he's saying there. All right. Want to talk about Facebook for a moment. The conversation that's happening over Facebook right now is is very dishonest. Here's what's really happening. The left, they're still angry at Facebook because in 2016, the Trump campaign used Facebook very, very effectively. They were brilliant at it especially Brad Parscale, who was running digital operations for the Trump campaign back then. In the primary season, what was the strategy on Facebook and how did it kind of shift going into 2016? Shock and awe. Shock and awe. How so? What's that mean? Which means is uh, put Mr. Trump's message, let him speak directly to camera and get it to as many people as possible. And why was Facebook the ideal medium for that? low-cost CPM, large numbers of conservative voters, ability to broadcast all day, multiple times to the same audience. And the numbers were showing in the consumer side that people were spending more and more hours of their day consuming Facebook content and and aggregated uh, newsfeed. That's not the Russians, that's brilliance. And the left hates it hates it that the Trump campaign was so good at Facebook. So now they're still reevaluating everything and trying to say something was sinister and Facebook itself was somehow complicit. Uh, Do you remember during the 16 campaign, actually it was late in 15, when Trump put out the uh, so-called Muslim ban, calling for a total and complete shutdown of Muslims entering the United States until our country's representatives can figure out what is going on. I remember this, the left went crazy. Of course, the Supreme Court ultimately backed up this policy. It wasn't racist or any of that stuff. He came out and said it too. Donald J. Trump is calling for a total and complete shutdown 
of Muslims entering the United States until our country's representatives can figure out what the hell is going on. Big news, of course, right? The New York Times and the left has now been trying to say that this was hate speech and Facebook was wrong and not banning it. Take a look at this from the Times, their milestone piece on this uh, about what happened during the campaign. From this story, it says the following. Mr. Trump's call to arms, the Muslim ban, widely condemned by Democrats and some prominent Republicans, was shared more than 15,000 times on Facebook, an illustration of the site's power to spread racist sentiment. Now, it wasn't racist. The Supreme Court ultimately backed it up. Um, but this is what they're saying about Facebook then and now. Uh, this is how they bully them into becoming a bastion of left-wing thought. It wasn't just Facebook talking about what Donald Trump said. Everybody was talking about what Donald Trump said. The mainstream media had this. You couldn't cover it up. You couldn't pretend it didn't happen. He was running for president. He was a big deal. He was ahead in the polls. He would ultimately become president. Everybody was doing it, but look at what they say about Facebook. Again, that last line, racist sentiment. That is, uh, that's something else. So this is what's happening. They're bullying a billionaire. I'm not a big Mark Zuckerberg fan, but the left has badgered him, and that's why he spent nearly a half billion dollars of his own money, I think, trying to throw this, this last election to the Democrats. I'll be right back with Congresswoman Marjorie Taylor Greene, American hero. A liberty-loving American takes on Washington, Hollywood, and the whole media establishment. He's Chris Salcedo. Join his fight. Tune in to The Chris Salcedo Show every weekday afternoon on Newsmax. Congresswoman Marjorie Taylor Greene, Republican of Georgia, joins us once again. It's been a long time. Welcome back, Congresswoman. How are you? I'm doing great, Greg. How are you doing? I'm doing terrific. And you are doing great. I think you're doing great. What is it like right now to be you on Capitol Hill? I know you take incoming all the time. I know you're ready for it. I know you're built for it. But what's it like? Well, I have to tell you, I find it very frustrating. I come from a world where we actually accomplish things. We serve our customers. We make a profit and we're able to um, finish the job. Uh, but that doesn't happen here in Washington because Congress is broken. Congress is self-centered, uh, self-righteous, and only serves itself. It doesn't realize that it's supposed to serve the American people, but and it has completely forgotten that we're a government for the people and by the people. So I find myself constantly frustrated and absolutely disgusted at the swamp, and that's why I routinely call it out, because I truly feel that the American people deserve much better. Uh, Self-righteous, self-centered, yes, that is Congress. Uh, look, the fake news, they're always taking shots at you. I saw this big Rolling Stones story. Everybody lost their minds. But if you read the story, the story, I think, is very deceptive. Basically, they want people to believe that members of Congress and staff members at the White House were working closely with those who broke into the Capitol on January 6th. If you read the fine print, though, and if you go through this, you can tell they're actually talking about the totally legitimate and legal meetings that one would have about a contested election. It was not. Correct me if I'm wrong, but... 
It was not about actually breaking in or doing anything like we saw at the Capitol on January 6th in terms of uh, the damage. Absolutely not, Greg. We worked very hard, and I'll proudly say that I worked along with my colleagues planning the objection on January 6th, which I do not regret, and I'm very happy that I, that I followed through with. Um, I represented my district, and I represented myself. We, we aren't satisfied with the election of 2020, and I have no problem saying that. And I objected to Joe Biden's Electoral College votes, just like many Democrats did uh, for Republican presidents uh, in years past. So we did nothing wrong. We did what is absolutely legal and what is constitutional for members of Congress to do. But with the media, Rolling Stones and their so-called sources, and Democrats like to, like to forget about is their great hypocrisy in their support for the BLM domestic terrorist riots that they waged on the streets and in American cities against the American people and private businesses. So that's where the real crimes happen. And this is why I say Congress only cares about itself, because it doesn't care about creating a subcommittee investigating these real crimes against the American people that has cost over $1 trillion and killed Americans and attacked police officers for day and night throughout 2020. So we understand that the furor over January 6th is to take legitimate concerns about the fairness of the 2020 election off the table. That's, I think, one of their objectives here. There's a new documentary floating around by HBO. I don't know if you've seen it. I saw it. It wasn't particularly well done. It did not answer, even raise key questions. Uh, I'd like to know from you, though, uh, you see Officer Fanone here and uh, Dunn. They've both been walking around Capitol Hill. Have you encountered these guys? They may have been great cops, but now they're acting like political lobbyists with, quite frankly, massive chips on their shoulders. How do you feel about these guys? Well, I treat them the same as I treat every other Capitol Police officer. I say hello. I tell them thank you. I ask them how they're doing, and I always I tell them I hope they have a great day. I'm not really interested in their activism. I'm here actually trying to do the job that my district elected me to do. I'm working very hard against the infrastructure deal and the reconciliation budget, which seems to be happily falling on its face because huh. Democrats can't seem to come together on their communist plans for America. And I think that's good news for the American people. I think it's important to recognize that the January 6th witch hunt committee that Nancy Pelosi wants to con constantly shove into the public spotlight, she, she needs that distraction, right? Because she's failing to pass the Build Back Better Biden disaster agenda, which is really Bernie Sanders' presidential agenda. And so they need this distraction and they just want to point fingers at people like me and my colleagues, uh, you know, in the House of Representatives, because the real truth is if, if the media were to actually report what's happening in Washington, it wouldn't matter if you're Democrat or Republican, you wouldn't tolerate any of it because Congress is failing our country and failing the American people. Marjorie Taylor Greene, the one and only. Please come back more often. We appreciate it so much. Follow her on Twitter. Keep an eye on her and stay safe down there, too. Thank you so much. Thank you, Greg. All right. Take care. We'll be right back.
are done having a social justice agenda in your politics shoved down our kids' throats. Please resign. The sooner you resign, the sooner our community can start to heal and start a new chapter. That is Cheryl Onderchain, a Loudoun County parent. She was amazing last night. She has twin daughters. They're sophomores at Broad Run High School in Loudoun County, Virginia. Uh, she joins us right now along with Emily DeVault, a Loudoun County parent, three children, 21, 17, and 13 years old. Welcome to you both. Um, thank you for what you're doing. Cheryl, first, what? How did Loudoun County get this screwed up, first of all? <laughs> and also, thank you for what you're doing, seriously. Cheryl, first to you, what is going on down there? So, um, you know, I think because things were shut down during COVID, so many people really started waking up to what is actually going on in our public school system here in our country. Um, I don't think this is just a recent problem. I think it's been a growing problem as these you know, teachers unions have garnered so much control and so much power. Um, and while while people were home with their children looking over their shoulders, we really got a peek into what is going on. And, you know, as for our coalition, you know, we went to the school board initially asking them to please reopen the schools because it was hurting our children to be at home. And, you know, the more we started going to meetings and really peeling back the onion, we realized all of these, you know, radical things that were being shoved down our, our children's throats. And Emily, um, is it the proximity to Washington, D.C.? I'd like to know your thoughts about, like, how, how is it that Loudoun County became the ground, ground zero in all of this? And in your opinion, what is the most offensive, outrageous thing they've tried to pull on parents so far? Well, um, no one trusts them anymore. Um, it's one thing after another. Um, one of the things that really was shocking was the sexualized books in our school. Um, we protested them. We asked them time and time and again. They said, well, we can't just go out and pull these books. And when, then you have the other side of the argument saying, well, you're close-minded. Why can't you open your mind to another side of sexuality? It was insane. These are children. This is not supposed to be in our schools. Um, one thing after another, um, like Cheryl said, we get a nice look at what was being taught to our children during COVID. And it woke up a lot of people. And our area in Loudoun is saturated with politicians, very intelligent people, business people. And I don't think they understood how powerful our voices are. And we're not going to give up. I love it. I love it. And uh, oh, by the way, before the, uh, the main event, there was a rally before that I believe, Cheryl, you organized outdoors. Tell us a little bit about this and... Uh, it was a pretty good turnout. What happened here? Sure. And I can't take full credit. There was, uh, you know, a group of us who wanted to do something that was really getting back truly to our grassroots. Um, I mean, we started out as a very grassroots coalition last year. And, you know, as we realized all these egregious things that are going on in the school systems, a lot of organized groups popped up like PACT 
and Fight for Schools, which I'm also, uh, you know, involved with. We really wanted to get back to our grassroots. I mean, when these assaults happened and were exposed and the corruption and the cover-up and the lies were exposed, a lot more people who have been on the sidelines really said, hey, you know what? <laughs> it's time for us to get loud and show up. And we had so many new faces and new voices. And, you know, the community just came together. Everybody did their part, you know, finding speakers, um, we had a little girl who came and sang the national anthem, which was very heartwarming, you know, considering all the polarization, yeah. um, you know, going on. And, you know, everybody just came together. And the, the outpouring of people who came to speak for the first time was so inspirational. And the crowd was much more than I was expecting. And, you know, when you start talking about harm to our children, that, you know, that brings out a lot more people. And I think people have have reached their breaking point that we've got to get back to the basics of keeping our children safe and educating them and not indoctrinating them. And that needs to be our top priority. So to recap and students, by the way, they're following all of this. They walked out on Tuesday so upset, so outraged that a young girl was sexually assaulted by a boy who I guess is temporarily identifying as a girl and therefore may have had access to the girls' bathrooms. It's utterly insane. The students, can you give me an idea? Because uh, I've seen the parents and we can't see the students for understandable reasons. But Emily, where do they come down on all this? Well, I think they really feel betrayed. Um, this, this happened a while ago. And for them to be in school now and never even hear a hint of it, they're they're shocked. They they didn't they don't trust teachers, administrators, because no one has reached out to say, how do you feel about this? Let me help you. Um, it's the same kind of thing as a horrible shooting in a school. They always have counselors, they always have people that want to ensure the safety of their students. Why wouldn't they do this for rape victims? I mean, we're, have, we're going back to the buddy system for girls going into bathrooms back in elementary school. That's the last time I remember doing it. And all of a sudden, parents are saying, listen, if you have to use the restroom, you go with a friend or you hold it. Now, that's extreme, very extreme for these days. Not acceptable. I'm glad you guys are on the case. We, we compared you guys. I, I think the founding fathers were thinking of people like you, actually. Uh, it's amazing what you're doing. Uh, Cheryl Onderchain and Emily DeVault, thank you so much. To be continued, Loudoun County School Parents. We'll be right back. Well, COVID has been obviously a huge, huge burden on all of us and so many lives lost. Uh, but, but now the books and movies are being created, and some of them are very interesting. A uh, book, it's called Of Course They Knew, Of Course They, by John Moody, former executive vice president of Fox News. Uh, the book is a fictional book on a series of events that paints a, world, a, a picture of how COVID has been used to create world dominance. John Moody, welcome. Are we sure this is a fictional book? <laughs> it sounds like a true story. Welcome to Newsmax. How are you? Well, all I know, Greg, is it says novel on the front. And great to see you again. Congratulations on how well you're doing. Thank you, sir, very much. Um, so, John, um, 
you wrote this, I would take it during during COVID while we were shut down. Uh, what do you think? Who's they? Who's the they in the title? Well, the they is China, of course, the Communist Party of China. They knew what was going on. They knew what they were developing. And I think they knew that it was going to spread around the world faster than anyone could possibly react to it. So there's no doubt about who they is in the first sense. And I just let the second one out there with an ellipsis and readers can make up their own mind. Available wherever books are sold. And tell me how you, we all know it's part of the story, but Black Lives Matter, right-wing politics. And then this book moves to Italy. Tell us a little bit about that, if you don't mind. Well, what, what a lot of people don't know is that Italy, which is, of course, the home of some of the finest manufactured clothing in the world, I bet you you're wearing one right now, um, you know, Italy uh, had some, some clothing companies that were badly managed over the years. And in order to get out of financial trouble, they sold a lot of those companies, big, big names that we all know about, to China. And what the Chinese do as soon as they take over a foreign company is they bring in thousands and thousands of Chinese laborers to do the work because they don't pay them as much money. There's never any labor issues. And they know that they have to do what their bosses say or else somebody back home, a relative, is going to get a call from the police. So they brought in tens of thousands. That's a real number. Tens of thousands of Chinese laborers to do the work. Naturally, the quality suffered. I mean, at, at one point, they were putting out labels in the clothing that said made in illity because the workers didn't know what they were putting in there. <laughs> so naturally, when the Chinese came to Italy en masse this way, they brought with them the virus and the virus spread like wildfire through Italy. Wow, that's fascinating. Uh, this book is available again wherever books are sold. I'd like to put the book cover up again. Of course they knew. Of course they um, published by Brick Tower Press. John, you're also an authority on matters related to the Vatican. Uh, you wrote a book about John Paul II. We'd love to get your take on a give and take between Jen Psaki, the White House press secretary, and a reporter. I'm not sure of the affiliation, but it's about Joe Biden's upcoming trip to uh, the Vatican, where he'll be seeing the Pope. Uh, let's listen to that exchange, please. There's a great deal of agreement. Let me finish my answer. There's a great, it, there's not, you can ask anything you want. But what I wanted to note, since you uh, follow this closely, is that there's a great deal of agreement and overlap with the president and Pope Francis. You are familiar with the, where the president stands. He's somebody who stands up for and believes that a woman's right to choose is important. Understood. The Pope the has Pope spoken has differently. Said, I, I have just outlined for you what the focus of the meeting will be. I think we're gonna have to move on. Alex, go ahead, Alex. Oh, and I answered your question. Alex, go ahead. Owen, I answered your question. Go ahead, Alex. Abortion is murder, and it's like hiring a hitman. Does the president agree or disagree with that? You know that the president believes in a woman's right to choose. You're very familiar with this issue. We've spoken about it many times. Alex, go ahead. The White House has been uh, very vocal that Joe Biden is a devout Catholic, but that's what they say. I, I, I find it, I, I think that's problematic. She said there's a lot of overlap between Joe Biden and Pope Francis. Is that true? You know, this is not going to be the first time or the last time that a pope and a president tangle over this issue. Uh, I, you mentioned my book about John Paul II. I was, I was on a plane with him coming to the United States where he was going to meet with President Bill Clinton. And a smarty pants reporter tried to trick the pope and said, you know, Holy Father, uh, you've always been a fan of American democracy, but most Americans are in support of abortion. What do you say? And the Pope looked at this reporter for about three seconds and then said, you cannot take a vote on the truth. 
And, it, you know, it's always stuck with me. And uh, you still can't take a vote on the truth. And Pope Francis knows that. And I suspect that while he will try to be a polite host to President Biden, uh, the issue will come up behind closed doors. I love what the but Pope John Paul II said, I'll remember that one. You can't take a vote on the truth. Thank you very much, John Moody. Let's take a look at that book again, the one that's currently uh, out. And uh, you can buy both books, of course, but of course they knew, of course they knew, uh, available wherever books are sold. John Moody, we thank you so much. Thanks again. Stand by for Sinfield.